your favorite toy truck nerds are back. Welcome to That Scale RC Show. everybody we are back for another episode of that scale rc show with jay adam and trav what's up guys you totally forgot what number we're on <laughs> i was waiting for him it to kind of think matter, about it, it? For a minute. <laughs> <laughs> what are we 74 74 yep good ha <laughs> <laughs> take take that uh don't you so, yeah. think I'm not on top of it? <laughs> no, we never think you're on top I of it. I can fake it so good. <laughs> fake it till you make it. That's right. In all fairness, I rarely remember either. I So I pull up the podcast page before every show so I can count. Yeah, um, I never remember. I think it gets to a point where we just don't even need to bother counting anymore, do we? I mean, like the only time it really matters, I think, is when we just post it. Basically. True. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, so what's new? Drinking some wonderful coffee that I made. Coffee? You're not mm-hmm. drinking Monster? No. Uh-uh. For as good as coffee as he's able to make in like the weirdest scenarios, you would think that he would drink more of it and not exclusively drink like energy drinks. Because like when we so when we went to when we went to um like our to do our like film weekend we we had coffee you know in the morning of each of those days that he had just made basically on the tailgate and it's some of the best coffee i've ever had it was so good too like just and it was just the perfect storm too because like we made coffee we used a french press just because that i think that's like the easiest thing to use when you're camping because you just dump it in and squish it and you're golden but we uh used that and boiled water on our little camp stove with like such a small little backpacking water kettle that it took like two boiling things to like fill up the coffee pot you know like we had to do like two rounds through the sorry i'm stretching i don't feel very good okay there we go (laughs) having one of those situations where i just cannot get comfortable where i'm sitting here so i know how you feel anyways yeah like the the kettle was just so little so it took like two things of water to fill it up you know and so the whole time we're just like god i hope it doesn't like get cold we're waiting for it to boil again and everything just worked great we had these new cups and like they pretty much kept the coffee hot like the entire day and they weren't 700 yeti ones they were like six bucks at walmart so it was great. We had wonderful coffee that day, even if we didn't find anywhere to drive for an entire day. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, but anyways, point being, I think Good it's Good coffee. Weird. Yeah. Um, no. Every now and then. <laughs> Every now and then. Yeah. Every I'm... now and then I do something good. <laughs> I have been pretty much doing the same old been busy very busy 
Yeah. But what's new? I hear that. So <clears throat> I actually um, got to do a little product testing over the weekend. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's something that's already, well, it exists. But, you know, let's put it this way. It's an electronic. Everybody uses them all the time. Um, but this one is now going to advertise a certain feature with it. So just had to make sure everything was copacetic before this company releases it. So that was fun. Oh, it's still top secret, huh? This is still top secret. I can't completely reveal it. God dang. A web of secrecy lies in deceit. You're getting all philosophical with me now? <laughs> no. Oh, that what reminds the... me soon. Oh. I got to send you uh I'm going to be sending you some stuff, Adam. Oh, okay. I got a couple things that I need you to uh put to use. All right. So the axial rift is uh there's some drama surrounding the release so, of that. Yeah, so really? it was one of Nick LaRusso's questions, so I, I guess I can just ask it now since most of tonight will be questions anyhow. Um, he okay. says, yeah, the Rift, in your opinion, has the hype died with the shipping delays because of quality control, or is it still going to be popular? Is it quality control that it's delayed for? I don't think why? it is. I, think, I don't think it is either. I thought it was just availability in Chinese New Year and all that. It's not even just Chinese New Year. So, uh, like, I'll, I'll get into this a little bit because um, – because, I mean, we feel that at work and, and, you know, we generally are subject to that same sort of thing. Component market for anything is just really, really bad right now. And so lead times to try and get anything is really long. Um, if you notice, like, depending on what you're looking at, like, for example, um, you know, that if we were to look at like associated site, there's some plastic parts on there that we won't be able to get for months, you know, uh, wheels, things like that. And so I, I mean, I suspect that if it was delayed that long, honestly, it was just because of just lead time. Like, honestly, they, they probably just can't source the stuff to, to build them as quickly as they initially expected. And it's not super uncommon, honestly, at this point, especially just based off my experience to like have that time frame where you're going, okay, it's going to be February. And then February rolls around and you're like, oh, actually we're going to, it's going to be May. Sorry. You Every know? year, this is a difficult time to try and release anything. New. It, like, it is always problems. No. I don't know why people try and re release a new rig this time of year well it's year. generally yeah which is true but it's generally not this bad right right it's generally not this bad um but yeah i don't know um i mean i've heard a couple different things but just based off what i know um i was having a conversation with wes about this at work today because he had to go through a lot of different um channels just to try and source some stuff to you know kind of get his carpet stuff together in the event that we can go do something um, mm -hmm. and he said that it was extreme, like he couldn't get oil. He couldn't get wheels from anybody. Like it's rough out there right yeah. now. It's hard to get some stuff. So I think that this is honestly just a symptom of that. Probably. I think that's all, yeah. I think that's I, all there is. To I don't it. think it's a QC thing because it's the same factory that builds all their other stuff. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think it's just like a, a delay because look at, um, I mean, look at the B17, uh, Betty, the junior, or whatever you want to call it, the SCX 24 version. Um, when that thing, they, I mean, they announced that 
And I swear hobby shops weren't getting them. I th- it took what another two, almost yeah, about two, three months after they announced it for them to finally make it out, which is like weird because typically they announce something and within like the first four weeks, people are starting to get them. So it's like, I think it's just, they're not able to get, you know, the volume, you know, to supply the masses. And I think that's the issue. Yeah. Yeah. They just can't get enough of them in time. I think that's honestly all there is. Um, yeah. If the hype dies by then, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, I don't think it will. Like it's, it's not like people are going to go buy a different model because they can. It's the only one of something in this little new segment of RC and I, you know, it's not like there's other players in it that you can just go buy one from. So I don't think it's going to hurt anything. You're going to have people crying on Facebook because they act like, you know, they're not going to have food on the table unless RC car gets here when they want. So at the same time though, like what, that's about it. that thing, what retails for what 500. Yeah. As an RTR. Yeah. So I think it would be less that if, you know, there's no competitor options, but I could see people like just deciding it just to not, just not get it at all. Especially since when they do come in and it's going to be, pretty limited availability on that first run of them you know so i i guess i could see that where people by that time maybe have just lost interest altogether and have used that money for other things but that's like the only thing i could really see happening with it yeah yeah i i still think the hype's gonna be there and it's i mean for me the price point is kind of there because it's a it's a ready to run with brushless you know, electronics, which I'm not saying just because it has brushless that makes it a $500, you know, uh, price point, but, or 600, but the fact that we all know that usually the brushless, you know, electronics costs a little bit more. So generally, so we know that's going to add a little bit of price to it. Um, I'm not saying it's not worth the value, but it's, but as a consumer, it's still, you know, a decent price point altogether. Yeah. So I, I, like I said, the only the thing that's just going to suck is i mean they might fall off a little bit of the hype but once they start coming around they're going to they're going to do just fine yeah so yeah do you want to jump into the next question yeah why don't yeah. i yeah um so nick, nick LaRosa had a bunch of them tonight um he said the most important question of the night, will Travis talk tonight? Enjoy hearing the input from all three of you guys. Well, you might because um, I posted on the thread today that I think I want to talk bumps to you a little bit, and there were a couple questions about this because this was actually a conversation that uh, Jay and I were having last night. And let me see. Let me find one of the questions about this because I thought it was interesting yeah, he so he actually was just another one of his questions. He said, regards to bump steer, is it worth changing to a four link front with a servo on axle? Depends on what you're doing with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all know, okay. The reason why, like, even if you look back in the day, like the original OG SCX ten, the servo came on axle. And the reason for that is you could take a low um what is it, a torque ounce servo, um, like let's say a 150-ish, you know, servo, and um, ounces of torque, it'll it'll hold up way more than if you throw it up in the chassis because it doesn't have the angles and the pressure 
um, in the stress that a CMS setup has. Um, I also know this firsthand because, like I said, back then the biggest hype was CMS kits, getting your cha- getting your servo up in the chassis. Well, I did that, and I just took the servo that I had on the axle and threw it up in the chassis, and it was, you know, kind of a wimpy servo, pretty, you know, comparable to like a stock RTR servo, and it lasted like uh, two events up in the chassis, and then it just couldn't hang anymore. I burned that thing up. So um, that's why a lot of rock racers run the servo on axle because it could handle the abuse, you know, because um, it's I get, it's less stress to turn when it's planted in that position. So I think that to answer your question, it comes down to like, what are you trying to do with it? Are you trying to keep it super scale? If you're trying to keep it super scale, try and keep the servo up in the chassis. If you are not worried about scale and you want, um, and you want function over form, then go down and put it on the axle and do a four link. Now, the other issue, what people don't realize uh, with what, what causes bump steer and stuff, especially in these cars, from my experience, it's always when somebody can't get the pan hard bar um, and the drag link in the same parallel plane. If that is off at all, that will dictate a lot of your bump steer. I mean, I'm kind of having that issue with one of my cars only because I'm trying to put something that doesn't really belong there. I'm using an old Vanquish um, CMS kit because I'm doing a, that's the one with the custom forward motor mount in it. And it's uh, creating some issues. So I'm trying to correct that because it, it irritates me when the suspension completely bottoms out the wheel or it's when the suspension completely unloads it turns the wheels because it's pulling on the drag but so when it when the suspension compresses are the wheels towing out or towing in so when it compresses the wheels are they'll probably just turn one way they're not going to tow out or yeah they're just turning they're not they're not yeah they're not won't be like ifs no, it's not like the IFS. No, what's oh, happening right, right, is right. so so when I so when I compress, it actually kind of stays fine. It's really when it unloads. When it completely unloads, I think the way that it travels, the suspension travels, it just pulls on the drag link. Yeah. And it turns the wheels. It just turns the wheels a little bit. So yeah. um and that has to and I know that it has to do with the geometry and where the the drag link is. Um so I just got to play around with it some more and then I'll hopefully have it dialed in. Um, but yeah, that's really the only rig I've ever experienced like really bad um, bump steer with. The only other one I saw bad bump steer with was my very, one of my very first builds I did for a buddy of mine. Um, yeah. I was just trying to make the car work and I wasn't really paying attention to geometry of anything. And that pan hard angle was just horrendous and or draggling angle was horrendous so it just yeah all kinds of bump steer yeah that makes sense but yeah hope that uh kind of helps yeah i mean 
it, it's it's one of those weird things where, like, when you introduce like like you're talking about like with you have if you have like a chassis mounted servo, you're introducing so many different points of geometry to get it to achieve the exact same thing that you would have on servo and axle. And it was really funny because like, that was the big thing. Like everyone wanted to immediately go to uh, chassis mounted servo, the first car that came out with it. And I can't remember which one that was. Um, but like, and then now after all this time, people are kind of starting to figure out that maybe servo on axle might be the way to go from a performance standpoint, which I agree. I mean, number one, it's just simpler um, yeah, but all the weight's low, all the weight's low. And it's, I mean, and it's just way more consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean like that's, that's definitely like my take on it. Like, you know, people have talked about, for example, um, like with, uh, I know that with the EPX kit that we talked about, like there's, um, you know, people would have some issues. Like if you're running like chassis mounted servo and you have like your, your, your drag link sort of kind of compress on the, onto the, the axle, up into the chassis i mean yeah and i know what you're talking about yeah I've yeah and so like but and then that in that instance like ever since like we changed the dodge to a servo on axle like that was to me like i was like well why why wouldn't i just want this to begin with yeah it looks cool when you don't have the servo hanging down on the axle and i totally get that point but that is definitely one of those like i think you definitely sacrifice a bit um yeah yeah, so I, that's definitely the route that I, like, it, it, especially, like, if you can't get the geometry level, like what Adam was talking about, and no matter what, you're going to have that leverage where it's trying to, it's trying to dictate the, you know, the direction your vehicle's going, then, yeah, I mean, then I, I would, I would definitely just explore a servo and axle option. Um, In instance, I guess I should have clarified, because one of the things that, I've been seeing a lot of lately was in particular to the IFS where people were talking about bump steer with the IFS and any IFS setups. And I think that the part that why I wanted to talk about this is because I don't think people understand at least at that level, what the bump steer is actually doing, you know, people, so like people see like what happens with bump steer and they see that they don't, you know, if you compress the suspension or unload the suspension and the, the, in this case with IFS, a lot of the time it's your toe angle. So that stuff doesn't stay exactly the same. That's like one of those things where people don't understand, like that's perfectly okay. Like, and I'm like, that's what I wanted to talk about. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing whatsoever. And people, you know, really stress themselves out about it and post and everything else trying to find uh, solutions to it. And I think it's not really a solution. You know, it's not something that needs a solution to begin with. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's like, I mean, if they saw like a two-wheel buggy, they would probably, their heads would explode because there's bump steers just like, there's a little bit inherent with every single IFS setup on anything. That's yeah. just how it is. Yeah, and whether you have toe in or you have toe out, like you're going to have different benefits and you can change that depending on your shimming um, yeah. underneath ball studs. But like, like for example, and here's why I don't think it's a bad thing. The reason I say that is like, um, and this is what he and I were talking about last night. For example, if you were, let's imagine that you're, you know, you're sort of side hilling slash, like you're going to kind of take, you're going to take trying to climb up onto a ledge at an angle. I'm trying to like talk my way through this the best I can. It's hard to like narrate what I'm visualizing. But when you do that, and so you're climbing up to the right, right? So you're climbing up to the right. 
So when you start to make that climb, what's happening is your your vehicle starting to lean on your left side, and if you're complete, if you have an IFS setup, you're compressing the your left front of your suspension more the left rear as you start to climb up, but you're at some point you're compressing the left front. And if you have like in in this particular case, I would want toe out on my bump steer. So if you compress the suspension and the tire turns out. What that's going to do is that is also that's going to give you a little bit more contact patch on your climb, and it's not going to narrow your point to where you're starting to climb up, climb up, and as it's starting to put more weight on that side, you're maintaining more contact patch than you otherwise would have, and then you're not folding over onto the sidewall of the tire because you ran out of space too quickly, right? And I would honestly, I would do the same thing if it were like a, an Ultra 4 setup. We're like, that's what I would want, you know, and the adverse to that, right? Like if I wanted if I wanted it to compress, toe out, it's going to make the vehicle more stable hitting rocks. If I wanted to go the opposite direction, like if I had a really dialed suspension setup and I didn't have to worry about that too much and I'm not darting all over the place, then you can change your shimming and you can have toe in. And what that'll do is that upon your lean, once you get into a corner or anything like that, it's going to make the vehicle a little bit more responsive on your initial steering, which if anybody has used the early Gen U4 cars, people know that that's something that is um, definitely a valuable trait in a vehicle. So like what, what people I think need to understand is like it's it's just another tuning option. There's not really a benefit to having it straight up and down because you know, then you're not really, you're just kind of getting it a neutral so you might as well play with it and see what you're happy with because there are benefits whether you lean one way or the other. But that's what I wanted to get at. I still can't figure out what it is about the element IFS that people don't like. Like, I mean, I, I think it's honestly just they're sitting it on the bench and they're cycling the suspension and going, oh, that can't be right. And that's that's it. Like, I can't think of a single situation that I've, and I've driven that truck a lot. Like, I have a lot of time on the IFS. That's pretty much the only rig I ran all summer at Die Hard and everywhere else. Um, too many people do too many, like, or too much, like, bench tuning. Yeah, that's just it. Like, I think they're trying to correct a problem that's not really there. I have done some pretty technical lines with that truck, and not once have I been in a situation where I'm like, man, if it wasn't for that bump steer, I totally would have gotten up. Like, it's a non-issue, and I don't understand. Like, it makes more of – it's more detrimental when you're, like, going fast and stuff through things, but, like, these don't. I mean, when you're crawling – when you're crawling, it just, it, it, I I don't think anyone's good enough to where they can actually say like, yes, the bump steer right there, that caused my truck to roll, you know? Like, I it, understand. It's not I understand why it concerns people because at first glance, it seems weird. Like it's a weird yeah. thing to look at and notice if you don't have a fundamental understanding of the way that that geometry is going to translate to the surface you're driving on. Because if you're driving, like if you're, if you're on a surface anywhere and you're driving on it, like you can't, you have to be up looking right at the vehicle as you're doing it to really notice it visually. Right. Like that, like, you know, you, you don't feel it necessarily unless you're, you're driving it and driving it at speed. Or, you know, you notice it in various traits, but like you, I mean, to visually see it, like you have to like go and look at it. 
but people don't really do that and they just kind of mess with it on the bench and so they don't actually see okay like what it's actually doing for me here and then we can then pursue the route of like okay well can we can we play with this maybe this is actually something that's good and I could get a little bit more out of this so I think it's just one of those things that not this is the rude way to say it but just it's one of those things that people just don't know enough about and yeah, no, it, they just it, make it's assumptions. True. That's, and I get the assumptions. I totally do. But I, they're it, wrong. It just, <laughs> I, I've had a real wake up call this year as far as people's opinions on stuff. There was a guy that had ordered our link riser, I believe, and that was it. Not, nothing else didn't change anything else on the car, just a link riser. And he's like, yeah, let's see if it makes a difference. And not to be mean, but he had the dumbest, lamest, simple backyard course I've ever seen. And I'm looking at this going, dude, you could switch tires and drive on that course and you wouldn't notice a difference. Like there's just nothing there. There's nothing technical. It's just some bumps that you're rolling over. Like there's not even long climbs to where, you know, really messing with your anti-squat is even going to benefit the car. Like, yeah, it, you know, and that's what people drive on and make posts about and stuff and i hate to say it but like dude there's just so many people that have no idea what they're doing and they hop on these groups like the element group and start talking about bump steer and this and that like travis and i ordered a the Bauhaus rc steering rack because everybody's raving about it and it's just like Someone My opinion is it's that. trying to fix a problem that's not really there. So we ordered it and it's like, okay, let's let's see. I installed it and holy hell, dude, it is like it's so bad. Like it it creates bind with this with the steering links. <laughs> it I mean, it is just it's a it doesn't work. It just flat out doesn't work. It actually compounds the problems because now people are burning stare, burning servos up because it, unless they have their endpoints adjusted perfectly or even if they don't and they just like the tire catches on something and turns farther, it gets to a point where the steering link cams over and locks the steering and they're burning up servos. Yeah, I guess Scoot, Scooter Scott, to answer your question because, you know, he asked about this. He asked about oh, that. He rack. did ask about he, that. He rack. asked about the rack in particular. Yeah, I was I was trying to figure out how I was like ever since he commented that I was trying to figure out how I was going to answer this because I hate like we need to be truthful in this situation well, and not t- tiptoe around. No, it. so here's my thing. So like, yeah, I definitely I have absolutely no I I I have honestly real no regard for Bauhaus and anything they make. I mean, it's just something that is just not within my mind whatsoever. I see people yeah. who order those and like, I, I, I look at this part, I look at the Bauhaus rack as like, just as if Intigi was or Intigi or however people say it, like was just making an aluminum version of something that didn't need an aluminum version. The reason I don't like it is because like we were talking earlier about how, um, like a chassis mounted servo was harder on the servo itself than it is on servo and axle. This has the same problem because it, it adds like three different leverage points in your steering geometry. And so like when you're sitting there, cause like I was sitting there messing with this on the bench last Thursday when I was packaging EPX stuff, um, you know, down at the shop 
And I was sitting here messing with this because I was trying to figure out like why people are so like why why people love it so much. And but then also too, I've also been hearing a lot of people people you know taking it off and throwing it away. And I was, I mean, like I couldn't even sit there and hold the tires and turn it from one way to the other without it getting some weird up like vertical bind in the rack because of the way the ball studs mount and everything else. What it was doing was it wasn't just trying to like shift the steering from left to right. It was trying to go up and down and everything else because what it's doing is it's just pushing the geometry into open space and then it's just pushing it up or down, which is then creating a ton of, uh, is creating a ton of bind on your, you know, your bell cranks and everything else. Like I saw they also make aluminum bell cranks for it. And I thought, that's not the problem. Like, cause the issue is, it's not like the plastic ones are too weak now. Like it's just, it's so much more complex geometry than it needed to be. And, yeah, and like and they could have simplified bell cranks to try and fix a problem that their steering rack is creating that wasn't there before putting the steering rack yeah, on yeah, because you of know. the pressure it puts on the bell cranks. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hate doing that because I know pe- I know the feeling of like when you make something like that and you sell it and like you're super pumped on it and you're proud of it. Um, but like that was just one of those things where I was just like, it's just mechanically, it just was not, I, in my personal opinion, was not well thought out. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean... It, it creates more problems than it solves. Yeah, is the I mean, bottom that's, line, and people are starting to see that now with broken servos and everything else. And there's more people being vocal about it, like Aaron, the engineer that designed most of this stuff at Element. He uh, he was even like, "Yeah, that steering rack is causing problems. Get rid of it." You know, yeah. like ev- everybody's starting to kind of wise up to the fact that, like, oh, okay, you buy this, and now it's putting pressure in other weird areas and creating bind. And so, to use your their steering rack now, you know, to fix the problems it has you got to buy their aluminum bell cranks and it's just it's i i don't know these guys personally i know nothing about them i don't have it out for them or anything like that but i think they're messing around in an area that they just have no clue about and this is the result of it you know we're starting to see that now and uh yeah i mean this is just my objective opinion on it like yeah i mean mean, it's just I went in there, I went in there, honestly, like going to touch it, not understanding actually what people didn't like about it because I wasn't paying that much attention to all of that. And then I sat there and honestly, like that was my moment when I was sitting there turning it and I was going, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, yeah, I, again, you're getting into a weird like world of, of nonsense. And yeah, like you said, you're fixing something that didn't need fixing. Um, but if you were, I, but I also understand just making an aluminum version of something that's plastic. I get that. Um, but I don't, that that's personally, that's just not what I would have done. Yeah. It just, I don't know. I, like I said, I've done some really technical driving and I consider myself to be, you know, a pretty decent driver and, I have never encountered anything with the stock IFS that has screwed me over in any sort of situation on the trail or while climbing a tech line i mean just doesn't happen so yeah that's that well i the only thing i wanted to add to that because i don't have any experience with that it just kind of reminds me a lot of you know back like i was saying back in the day when the big thing was moving your servo up to the chassis the other big thing was 
everybody was trying to just put every single kind of aluminum part they could on their vehicle. Like for the, um, they put like aluminum axles, they'd upgrade the the links, they'd upgrade the drive shafts, they'd upgrade this, they'd upgrade that. They put aluminum um, uh, gears on the transmission. You'd have a, an aluminum spur gear, aluminum pin, pinion. Um, like you have all this stuff that you're upgrading. And the thing that everybody forgets is some of the stuff is designed to have give. So there is a failure point that's, designed to fail versus you've just tried to overhaul everything and now something that was never designed to fail is going to fail oh, yeah. because it was never designed to be that way no he's 100 percent correct yeah absolutely so, so like for instance like when there was a lot of people i knew that would do that they'd purposely leave like the spur gear plastic so that way if something was to happen you'd shred that take it apart real quick. That's why back then you wouldn't, you didn't have all these cases and covers. It was pretty open. You just replace it real quick. Boom. You're ready to go. If you're going to that extreme. Um, yeah. So that's really the only thing I wanted to add to it. Yeah, no, I, I think you're hundred percent correct. I mean, I know it sounds like it, it sounds like a cop out, but it truly like these are little trucks that you're subjecting to real world elements. At some point, something's going to break. They make spare parts for a reason. It, yeah. It's not an excuse for when every like anything breaks, but there are totally points where like, look, like, for example, you know, there's a reason why people in the race world, for example, uh, carry more um, arms. They carry more um, A arms than anything else, because you know what, if you drive and you, you know, you're, you're taking a corner and you're going to take it too closely and you hit a pipe or you get sideways off a jump and you go arm first into the jump or wheel first into the landing or something like that. Chances are you're breaking an arm, you know, does that mean the arms are garbage? I, I mean, I don't know. I, you're the one that crashed yeah, it. That's, that's the thing. And this is, this is another thing that I've kind of learned with all of this is with scale RC, like with crawling people, confuse driving hard with driving good okay like they are very quick to judge cars that are in good shape and oh it's a shelf queen or you don't drive it hard enough or you know if you haven't broken this you're not driving hard enough it's like no i mean there's some people out there that just drive good and they know what they're doing and they're not rough on their shit like that's just kind of how it is and you guys haven't figured that out yet like i mean i i can't even count the number of times somebody's been like oh you don't drive it hard enough if you haven't had this part fail and it's just like what a dumb thing to say like just they it's almost like they're getting into basher territory and they expect these cars to hold up like bashers do because we've seen how some of these guys drive and it's bad, you know, like they beat the hell out of stuff. And like myself, for example, I've always been really fond of slipper clutches for the reason of what Adam was talking about. You've got some sort of give in your drivetrain to keep from, you know, destroying ring and pinion gears or stripping out the gears in your trans or whatever's going on, you know, like there needs to be fail points somewhere on a vehicle. Otherwise you're going to be bending or breaking more important things that are either more costly or more difficult to get to and things like that. 
like it's this is an important thing you know it's like it's why people in desert racing carry spare drive lines or extra u joints or something it's like you know you want that to break rather than you know destroying your ring gear and your rear end like you want something to give and i i don't i don't understand the people's train of thought where like these cars are supposed to be bomb proof and bulletproof and nothing's going to break. It's like, well, I want to see hub to break so that I don't break an entire axle housing and have to take everything apart and replace it. Like I want to have fail points in it and weak links so that you're not destroying something more costly or more inconvenient to fix. And nobody thinks like that, you know, it's just like I paid 300 bucks for this thing and I can't believe that this, plastic broke in 20 degree weather outside like it's just insane and the bottom line is that it's like a lot of people just don't know what they're doing whether it's bump steer and thinking there's a problem there whether it's something breaking they don't think should have broken um and it's it's just you know i i don't have the problems that these other guys have and it's because i just don't beat the hell out of my cars and abuse them you know, like I try and drive really good and well and not destroy stuff. And as a result, I don't have the failures that these guys have. And somehow this reasoning and thought process is escaping a vast majority of people in the hobby right now. And you see it a lot on the element page because I think that there's a lot of, I think, there's a lot of guys that have bought elements because they were, you know, had team associated stuff growing up or used to race or whatever. And so that's why they gravitate toward the, towards the brand. I, I think there is a lot of newbies that are buying element rigs and having these very odd issues. And I think a lot of it just revolves around not knowing what's going on. And that sounds mean, but I mean, really it's, Sorry, it's true. I mean, you know, we, we see this a lot. Yeah. Ah, you're right. Good good driving and hard driving are two completely different things. Just because you just pin that thing and beat the hell out of it doesn't mean, you know, <laughs> don't confuse that with good driving. Yeah. Um. So next question was, or actually this wasn't a question, but it's from Alex Sims. He says, no question. Just want to say that I love the truck giveaway. You guys are doing very generous. Thanks. Well, well, thanks. You guys have been very generous, allowing us to be very generous. (laughs) Um, Chris Trudeau, he says, what is the aspect of scaling that you struggle with the most and what skills do you want to improve on? Hmm. Hmm. You guys so, what as- so what aspect of scaling? Um, I would say definitely has to be interior. I'm not a fan of like in. Well, let's put it this way: the easier, the better for me. I if I could get like a, you know, a half interior or something like that, and just throw it in there, great, gets the job done. But like. These people that spend all the time, when you open the door, you actually get full depth. You have the seats that look like seats. I mean, for instance, Wes Braswell's doing some 3D printed seat, and it, I don't even think he's done, like, it's all just been made out of um, uh, styrene. styrene. And that thing looks like 
it looks like you're staring at leather. That's how well it's wow. constructed. That's the kind of like stuff I know I struggle in, but um, yeah, I'd love to be better at that. Um, that in like fine detail painting, the yeah. once you get super like trying to get all detailed, I usually have runs, marks, you know, paint bleed underneath lines. I yeah, so that would be those would be my struggles. Yeah, that's same for me. It would be detail painting. I wish I was better at doing that. What kind of paints would you guys use for that? I, I typically model paint or paint pens. I, I bought yeah. an acrylic paint set off Amazon, and I was thinking that might work for something like this. That's I love the paint pen set that I got off of Amazon. I've used it on so many different things. Hmm. I was looking at that generator that Intern made, and it, it's funny that we're talking about detail painting because I had messaged him and was like, holy crap, dude, like, how hard was it for you to paint this, you know? And he was using like toothpicks and dipping the toothpick in paint and stuff. And like, he did a phenomenal job on the detail of this. Like it's so clean. There's good coverage. Like some of it was good enough to the point of where I like kind of had to give it another look because I questioned whether or not it was painted or just a separate 3d printed part made out of colored filament. Like he did a really good job. So that's that's hard, and I know my old hands aren't steady enough to be able to pull off what some of these guys are doing with that stuff. I agree. You should see the wannabe um, plaid shirt I did for my SCX 10-3. I thought, I was like, yeah, I'm going to use like a really fine brush, and I'm going to be really gentle. It's going to make perfect little lines. Nope, nope. I tried to do that with the driver and Travis's Bronco, make a plaid flannel shirt. Oh my God. It did not work. Exactly. It's hard. Like people that are good at that stuff. I man props to him because that is not easy stuff to do. Not at all. <laughs> um, all right. So Nick Cluroso said, what are your thoughts on Axial's new overlanding add on set? I think it's rad. I haven't seen it. I I've seen you a picture of it. Is that what you sent me a picture of? Yeah, the the hard cased rooftop tent and all that little oh, stuff. Oh yeah, like yeah, it's freaking cool. Oh, that is cool. Okay, I remember now. My bad. I wasn't putting a picture to it. Oh well, I honestly haven't seen it. It's pretty sweet, dude. They get they did a really good job. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I just went under their website and looking at what their what's new, but somehow I missed that post. Huh. And 33, so 34 bucks, that's not bad at all. Yeah, pretty neat. I I don't know. Not many, not many manufacturers make like little stuff like that. That's like a little kit that you can buy, which is really cool. Makes sense though. I get why people are kind of doing it more. Yeah, I mean, with injection molding, you're probably only going to see the big companies like Horizon slash Axial doing oh, yeah. stuff like that. Oh yeah. I mean, we laugh. I mean, we laugh about three D printed stuff, but I mean, sometimes it's all you can do. You, yeah, you can't thousands of dollars for a mold. Yeah, thousands of dollars into a fuel cell. Um. Yeah. 
And then he has another question. He says, what do you think of the Ford Bronco 4600 class Ultra 4? So sick. That was really cool, actually. (laughs) I have, personally, I have a tough time getting excited about the way some of those look. But those, those were cool. You mean Ultra 4 cars? Yeah. Yeah, they are kind of goofy looking yeah, some of them generally i don't care for them that much like there's definitely good looking ones but i i never see i very rarely see one i should say that is just wow but i liked yeah. those a lot i really liked those probably the most i've ever watched king of the hammers was this year yeah i loved it so much such a good time I don't know if it'd be fun to go to, though, just because so, so many people and so much dust and it's freezing cold and the you're wind. out there for like a week and like that. Unless you had an RV, that would be a really hard trip. I'd, I'd be do. super pissed off at the wind in like five minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like having dust blown in your eyes and ears and up your nose and everything like that gets old really fast. So my boss actually used to go to King of the Hammers, I want to say like five, six years ago. And he said it's definitely one of those things. He goes, he wouldn't go every year, but he said it's definitely one of those things you should experience once because he said there's nothing like standing in some of the areas when the cars just come ripping by you, you know, 100 miles an hour, you know, and you're just standing there and it's just like, it's, he says it's like surreal when you're just standing there going, holy crap. It's almost like the people that watch like the Baja and they're standing like right there and the car, the trucks are just flying, you know? So, um, yeah. So he said it's definitely a fun experience, but, uh, he said it is dirty and dusty. I think if it wasn't for like racing dirt bikes and stuff when I was younger, I'd be able to tolerate that so much. But I think when it's like been half your life getting dirty, like you just get to a point where you're just over it. (laughs) So you don't do it unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. Um, next question is from, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. So we're just going to go with Benjamin. He says, I need a strong servo saver for my SMT-10. I have the J, the J Concepts tires and RC four-wheel drive beadlocks on it, and the stock saver just wasn't working with the extra weight. I put a metal one on, and as predicted, it broke the servo. What can I get to save the servo but strong enough to withstand the wheels and tires weight? Now, I saw this question earlier, and I had to go look at the, S- the SMT-10 again. And I'm not – maybe you guys can answer me this. I'm not understanding why you would need a servo saver at all. You don't. Uh, well, because everybody that I've seen that doesn't run a servo saver, the amount of stress from the the truck landing, even that jolt on that big wide wheel, um, it wants to jerk it, you know, a little bit. And these servos, um, unless you put like some crazy one that's got some crazy torque spec, they it'll you'll damage them Mm. yeah i i think the key to anything like the smt10 or anything using ar60s and stuff like that it's not like there's a lot of servo savers you can choose from that 
have variable tensions, you know, um, it's one of those things where if you're going to have a rig like that, you just need to buy a nice all metal gear servo. That's not going to crap out on you and ditch the saver in this situation. Yeah. I've never like my personal experiences. I've never seen a non eighth scale buggy or truggy servo saver. That was even remotely worth its weight. Like just, all of us just crank them down anyways in the racing world. Like Yeah, um, I mean, I think, I, I don't know. I'm at, at this point, I don't believe in servo savers to, at this stage. Like, it's just, especially something like when you get into, like, stuff as small as, like, scale. I don't know if it really is going to help you at that point. Like, and that's the thing. is like, so you can either get one that's either going to be, like, one of the few ones where you can do that. Or, like, like you just need to really just buck up and buy a really good servo and, like, no like no nonsense like a one of those like $190 MKSs or something like if you really just don't want to have that problem like I don't I think it's the only thing you can do because like if it's if it's being caused by the problem that like Adam is describing then that's that's the only thing I can think of well the other thing too is like all my I guess you could say major catastrophic failures have always been with with the SMT 10 and mainly it's because like, I think a lot of people try to, like, change things up to obviously make it their rig. Um, I learned the hard way that there's a reason they pick the size, tire, and wheel that they put on there instead of putting something, like, ultra-wide because the wider and heavier that wheel is, the more brutal it is on everything else. Um, I bought a set of... Um, the Proline Destroyers, and I put those, I believe that's what the tires were called, the Destroyers, I put those on their beadlock and, or their wheel, and I threw them on my monster truck, and the first time I actually ran the monster truck, we were up at CKRC, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to take this out for a spin, you know, and let's, let's, you know, jump one of the little jumps, you know. So I do the first one, I'm not kidding, I went off the jump once when it landed, that wheel went flying. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, (laughs) like I had this on for like 10 minutes and boom, destroyed. I was like, okay. So then I put in, um, I put on some better, you know, axles because actually what had happened was the end of the, uh, axle, of the CV shaft snapped the threaded part where, you know, uh, you put the hex nut on and it snapped. So I was like, let's go with like a better one. So I threw in a vanquish one and the vanquish one actually held up, didn't break. But by the end of the day, the one tire was like doing like, just like they do on the real monster trucks. It was like wobbling. So it bent, but it didn't break. So that's when I was like, you know, I want this to be fun. I don't want this to be like something that kills my wallet every time I take it out to drive it. So I, that's when I said I'm putting the stalkers back on and I've never had an issue with the stalkers, the stalker. I mean, and and what I'm running in my setup is, and I'm actually not running anything too crazy. I'm running an HBL 599, which is an MKS. It's got about almost 500 ounces of torque. It's an all aluminum, um, servo it's i think the retail is like around 180 um and i'm running that with the factory 
servo saver from axial on there and i've never had any issues whatsoever yeah i so, can't imagine that you would really so yeah so i think the key is you also got to ask yourself what wheels and tires are you running to because there's a reason why axial chose what they did yeah see yeah um, next one from Peter Nielsen. He says, what are the latest thoughts on Havoc racing and keep up the great work and thanks in advance for your knowledge. Um, just a lot of researching and work and brainstorming and Brett and I bouncing ideas off of each other and our buddy JC, you know, in on, then from you know like contributing ideas and thoughts like there's just there's basically i guess what i'm trying to say is there's like a small group of us that are kind of brainstorming this to get a program together and uh we're still diligently working on it it's probably going to take a little bit but we're making some progress like for example like while i'm doing the show i'm actually working on the logo for it right now so doing some multitasking all right Um, Ryan Crowley, rally cars, thoughts. What have you built in the past or what would you like to build now discussing them? I think they're rad. I think I would prefer to like build a vintage one over a newer one just because I get tired of seeing Subarus and stuff, but I think they're cool and I want one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I've always thought rally cars are cool, but it's like one of those... It's a, it's another niche, um, you know, like hobby aspect. You got to have, you know, a group of people. It's like a buddy of mine, Tyler, he's trying to get me to buy, um, I forget what car it is, but it's a two wheel drive kind of similar to a slash, but cheaper. Um, and they built a course in their backyard to do kind of like, you know, yeah, I wouldn't say it's oval racing. It's kind of like track racing, but like, I don't know. It's like a free for all. You can like run over each other in this. And then they're having a blast with it, but it's like they're creating their own little like thing within a thing. So it's like, you have to be, you have to have enough people. It's, I kind of feel like the rally car is kind of the same thing. You could have a rally car and you can go out, you know, in the dirt and you could like practice drifting it and whatever, but until you actually got like a ton of people that want to do it too, and you actually had some sort of like event, it kind of gets kind of hard to get traction, to get enough people to, to be interested in it. If you just don't see it around and it not being as popular. Yeah. But definitely still think it's cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Donnie Clark, with the popularity of the 124th and other microcrawlers, will SOR be making wraps available for the SCX24 and the Element trucks? And also, what cheap backup motor do you keep in your trail bag? The TRX21T is an outstanding motor for under $20. And we do offer those. Uh, yeah, the wrap we do for the Enduro. Um, we don't yeah. for anything else. Yeah. But- I don't know the, after looking at the Jeep and like, we've got the deadbolt, I might be able to wrap the deadbolt. I doubt I'll be able to wrap the C10 just because it's so little and so round. The only reason I really got away with being able to do the Enduro cause the body was relatively square. 
with a lot of sharp edges. So it's still not super fun to put on because there's it's little and there's just no margin for error when you're trying to install something like that. So it's tough. Um, we'll probably do some just generic 24th scale graphics kits that are like, you know, like just kind of like what we've done for the bigger rigs, like mountain ranges and trees and stuff like that. We'll probably do like an American flag type thing. Um, it's going to be stuff like that. Probably nothing too crazy that, you know, we'll probably just have the Enduro and the deadbolt for wraps. Uh, the JK aside from the grill, it wouldn't be terrible to do, but the grill, there's just no way I can make something that goes around those little baby headlights and, yeah, I mean, it, it would be so small and so hard on our machinery to try and get it to cut it, you know, because of the size. So we're probably just going to skip something like that. Yeah. Um, Chris Trudeau, opinions on cantilever style suspension for those builds where you want the full bed without the annoying shock hoops. Seen builds where the shocks are mounted way forward or shorter vertical shocks are used. Any insight on advantages or disadvantages? Well, if you lay the shock way forward, like let's say you take a 90 millimeter shock and you uh, lay it way forward, unless you put a super stiff spring on it, it's not going to do a thing. You're basically just making a pivot point. Um, it's kind of like if you look at, which I was just recently kind of playing with over the weekend, um, like the AX10, you know, they laid those shocks. Those shocks are like at a 45 degree angle. Like it's, you know, or actually it's probably even a little steeper than that. It's probably close to like a 20 ish degree. And if you think about it, those shocks don't really do a whole lot. And that's why the thing's got crazy articulation and all that, because the shocks are there, but they're not really there because they're laid down so much that you're not getting the full function kind of like the way the shock is. The more vertical you have it up and down, the stiffer the shock's going to be. So, um, it's like one of those things I get it. There's a lot of people that, you know, they don't want to see the shock hoops protruding through the bed. Um, they want to make it like more clean. Uh, I myself have done this on another build. I didn't want the shocks going through the bed cause I was doing a flat bed. So I ended up going with a shorter, I think like a 70 millimeter, I want to say shock. And I actually turned it, into a uh, droop setup. I put an internal spring underneath the piston so it actually compressed the shock, keep it down. Um, and it works pretty well. Obviously, when you go with a shorter shock in the rear versus like a standard length, like 90 millimeter in the front, you're going to have travel differences. Like obviously the 70s are going to bottom out or extend first before like where the 90 will have maybe a little bit more to go. Um, a lot of people were doing the, um, which I, I'm not sure if another person came out with it. Cause I have seen a, like a resurgence of um, the cantilever setup. But um, back in the day, a lot of people would try to run the dinky RC cantilever setup where you're able, where you basically were able to just pitch your shocks horizontally like parallel with the frame rails and it had a whole 
cantilever arm system with just a rod that would go down to the axle and you'd get your, you know, you'd be able to run like a flatbed without having shocks go through, but you'd still have something that kind of like performed really well. My biggest gripe with the cantilever setup is the fact that it just, to me, when you're like looking at it, it just doesn't look scale because you don't see any rear shocks. You just see a rod coming down and that's what's connecting to the, um, you know, the chassis to the, uh, to the axle. So just to me, it looks kind of not scale. Um, but those are really like, I know some of your options, um, to go with, but, uh, if I were to pick the lesser of the evils, if you're building something, I would definitely go with the shorter shocks and maybe lay them just a little bit farther forward, you know, like use them, uh, either use one of the holes on the chassis, or if you have some clearance, get something, make some sort of a tab so you can get them as close as you can to the bottom of the bed. Um, but yeah, that would really be my two cents. Yep. I agree. Yep. Um, Elliot Chappelle wanting to start a fight. He says, why are portal guys the way they are? It's not their fault. They were just born that way. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Moving on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I just, hey, I think you, a lot of it has to do with like, if you've been into real cars or not, you know, um, <laughs> if they've like, if they're just into the hobby and they see that, you know, the company comes out with portals cause they work and it's a way for them to get a little bit more clearance to make the car more drivable, you know, they're going to be all for it. But if, you know, they're like a true, like what's the word, um, a true, like, well, there you go. Like a truest, you know, you want to follow everything to the T you're going to go, yeah, the portals just don't look right. I don't care if they work great. They just don't look like, right. I mean, it, if you want to use portals, great, go for it. But don't rationalize it to me. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> don't, don't like, don't like sit there and try and convince me and blow smoke up my ass about how this is a good thing. If you want it, that's fine. If your preference is, you know, you want portals, go for it. But I mean, I just, it just they're not scale. It just is what it is. I I don't I don't get I do not get the disadvantages perceived of a straight axle. And that's just because I believe there are lines. Like, why is that so hard? Just change your lines up. Yeah. You know, a real car isn't going to mob over everything. You're going to have to pick your lines. You don't have, un, you know, just ridiculous, wow. unrealistic clearance on a real four wheeler. Like you just <laughs> choose your lines so that you don't hang the pumpkin up. Like, come on. I mean, it, I don't know. It, it's a lazy fix for not driving well, in my opinion. People who put portals in their RC cars drive Jeeps, but only on the road. Yeah. I feel it. <laughs> that is, that is a hundred percent it. Um, David pig. He says with the release of the SCX 10.3, do you think that they're going to phase out the SCX 10.2, or does the SCX 10.2 still hold its own in the marketplace? I personally I would. Know. I personally would love to know the answer to this question. This yeah, would, me too. This would be great for me. I, I would just say it's going to be like the evolution. Um, 
you'll see the the 10 2 will still stay around i think for a while only because right now it'll reign in the axial world as your cheapest off the shelf rtr because i believe you could get the rtr like the deadbolt what was it it was like 279 or 379 something like that um and you get into any of the scx 10.3 whether it's the gladiator or the jl and i want to say it's around 400 dollars right off the bat a little yeah, it's like four or five hundred bucks immediately yeah so i think as far as like a you know if if they're try, if they're really worried about being able to cater to everybody the people that are you know on a budget or penny pinching i think they're going to have both but I would not be surprised if you start seeing the SCX 10 to phase out. Yeah. I'd like to see him keep it as an entry level rig. The only thing that would change my mind about all that. And I would say that whatever, you know, like the entry level rig, you know, you can actually change it is which I would not be surprised if we did see this. When the SCX 10 two came out, they started adding, like obviously they had the Cherokee was the first one then they re-released the deadbolt. They re-released the trail honcho. I wouldn't be surprised if they bring the deadbolt or the trail honcho into the 10.3 platform just to have a 10.3 entry level that's not your high-end market like your JL or Gladiator. Yeah, I, th- I think that would be, yeah. I agree. Uh, let's see. Elliot Chappelle. I was about to ask if I needed to send Adam a generator too. Hashtag no more excuses uh, <laughs> regarding to not uh, recording last week. Okay. I will tell you right now. <laughs> I, we, we could have recorded. I did have to head out of town for work, but I did offer to do the recording while driving the truck. So therefore I didn't have an excuse. So we just collectively decided that we'll take a week off. Yeah. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Elliot. All right. Brandon Catton. He says what's estimated to be coming in 2021, especially with most supply and demand not being met. Or not being met. Not being demet. Uh, the, the demand isn't the, being demet. It's not being demet. Uh, not being met throughout the industry due to many being stuck at home and working on their cars. Do you think some companies won't make it through the year because of it? Uh, no, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, RC is enjoying a pretty healthy. Yeah, RC does well in bad economies. Yeah. End of the day. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. He had a couple questions to add on to this. Um, but he said four wheel drive slash all wheel drive drag car is going to be a thing on some places. There already are East coast, Florida, stuff like that. Um, Florida, of course there's four wheel drive drag yeah. cars in Florida. There's also alligators on heroin. So, you know, take what you can get. Um, waterproofing rigs. Um, I don't really know how you do that at the, at, at this point well basically i think what he's talking about is like you know your electronics uh for the most part most of your electronics are somewhat water resistant um 
it's all part of that like IP rating. If you ever get, you know, really nerdy and want to read all that stuff, there's different IP ratings mean different things. Um, and most of them usually have to have some sort of a rating to make it into what it is that it's in. Um, so basically like most of your, your RTRs come, you know, water resistant, um, you know, they're going to have a seal for the, um, receiver box or, you know, whatever. Um, and most of their, their electronics, like their servos and stuff will be water resistant. Um, but if you're trying to go like waterproof, they do make, you know, certain servos that are labeled waterproof. Um, same with the electronics, you know, I know, um, Tekken has their element proof, um, versions. Um, and that's, I mean, really you could just sit there and dive in. I mean, I know there's a ton of YouTube videos of people showing you how to waterproof their rigs. I mean, before all the waterproof electronics started coming out, we used to just get, um, silicone conforming spray and, um, like a conformal coating is, I believe what they actually called it. Um, it was by like MC chemicals or something like that was the ones who made it. Now I use the cow RC stuff looks like you're getting clear nail, nail polish, but take your receiver apart, you know, coat the boards, put them, wait till they dry, put them back together. Kind of do the same thing with your receivers. Um, I mean, yeah, the ESCs and your receivers, you take the receiver apart, do the same kind of thing, you know, coat the boards. Really, you just want to put a liberal coat over everything. So that way, if water gets in there, you're fine. And do not say that word in the RC community. What? You will cause an uproar if you say liberal anything. Oh, why? Because they don't understand what a liberal amount is. <laughs> it just means you hug trees. No, that's not what I was implying, but okay. Yeah. What he means is using it irregardless of how much you're using. Yes. Apply a light amount, not a Barack Obama amount or whatever you associate liberal with. Yeah. <laughs> It was, uh, it's a joke that fell flat on RC guys being, yeah. Anyway. No, no, <laughs> uh, the rest of his questions were phasing drive shafts, painting wrap tips, maintenance tips. I could talk RC all day. Phasing drive shafts. Man, I, that, that to me, I think that's somebody, I don't take this the wrong way if you're listening. I just think that's somebody who's got, like, the certain, like, OCD, like, they need things to be, like, okay, all the U-joints must be facing this direction, and, and they all have to have the bolts at the same. Like, that's, like, super OCD. I typically slap everything together and go. So I don't always – I mean, the only, there are some things that you, I try to be OCD about, but, like, I don't ever really – worry about phasing drive shafts i mean i'm sure there's a whole science behind it maybe maybe not but i see that coming up a lot in the element group and guys will have like a weird like hesitation um like what they'll do is they'll take the car set it on the stand and then apply throttle and it'll like have kind of like a jerking or lurching motion and usually the people like Schultz or Aaron or somebody will say, you know, hey, you, you know, you need to phase your drive shaft. So, you know, make sure that they're both, both uh, output sh- or, yeah, I guess you could call it input shaft and output shaft on your transmission. And then the, the shaft that's on your pinion, those need to be on the same plane. You know, they need to be parallel to each other and then have your 
um, grub screw that connects to the shaft, those need to be in the same place. Um, I've built rigs where I haven't paid attention to that at all. Like I've just thrown it together and I haven't had the weird lurching problems or anything like that. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like a stroke of luck that I didn't have those issues or I don't know. It's weird, but I myself like Adam just, it's not really something I usually pay attention to and everything's been fine for me. Do we just hit awkward silence or what? Yeah, I thought the thing cut out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no our uh, question asker was sleeping. I got distracted. Um, he said, uh, Joe, I another last name. I don't want to butcher. Uh, Joe says thoughts on led light setups. Thoughts on LED light setup. So basically this is another area where it comes down to, are you the DIY guy or are you the off the shelf guy? Because, uh, realistically that's what it comes down to. You got companies like, um, my trick RC, uh, lit led that'll actually make kits for you that are like plug and play. But typically with this, what happens is you'll have a lot of extra wire. So you got to like hide it, you know, wrap it up a couple times, zip tie it down because it's just a generic, um, kit. Um, and then if you're like the DIY guy, you could actually cut the wires down to the length you need them, solder all your connections together, tuck it all up nice and neat. Um, and when it comes to LEDs, at least for me, I'm a fan of just do the basics, like kind of like a real rig. Like you have taillights, headlights, maybe marker lights, rock lights, call it a day. All those trick, um, you know, uh, units that tell you like they give you the, the, okay, when you give it throttle, the, the brake lights dim and then they get bright when you stop. I mean, that's passable, but like when it's going to start the signal, when you turn, that's going to get old quick because who uses their turn signal when they're climbing up, you know, some rock pile. I've never seen anybody on the Rubicon use their turn signal. So I just don't think that that really is necessary. Um, which in a way, will dictate your price you know you could typically buy i mean which is i've done both i've purchased um lit led light kits and i've purchased um just regular stranded led lights like where it's just the led with like your leads and they give you like six or eight inches of wire um you could buy a bunch of those leds for uh, inexpensively on amazon or ebay and get the job done. So it's really a preference when it comes to like, like I said, are you willing to sit there and solder everything together or do you want somebody else to do it for you? I just kind of hodgepodge stuff together. Like I'll, I'll do headlights and taillights and that's really kind of about it. Like I don't really mess with the controller and the blinkers and stuff. Cause you don't use your blinker on the trail every time you turn. So I just, I don't know. I think some of it, it's cool, but it can be a little overboard and a lot more worth it, you know, work than it's worth. So I don't know. Agree. Yeah. 
Um, actually, you know what? Circling back to that one question about something we wish that like we were more educated in or whatever. I wish I understood LEDs and diodes more so that you can like make stuff like that yourself and understand like resistors and what resistor you need to use in line to, you know, for this voltage and this many LEDs. I know none of that and really don't have time to learn it, but that is something that I wish I, I knew. I think it's actually pretty simple because I think we've gone through this a long time ago in an old build, but it was the trailer. It was the trailer. But we yeah, Wil- Wilbur knew right off, like right off the top of his head. He's like, "Oh yeah, we need this resistor and this and blah 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 blah." And it was because we were trying to daisy chain them all together. Yeah, I'm just too dumb for that. Yeah, I just need to read up on it. Um, yeah, Jerry Shields. He says, "I know you talked a little bit about the micro crawler scene already, but I just built this Hobby Plus CR18 and was really impressed with it so far." How's the Patreon rig coming along? Keep up the awesomeness. Well, thank you. Um, I went to order the body, and um, I don't know. Proline's doing some restructuring. We don't have our discount anymore, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've sent our signature page of our contract and everything else to Proline. I haven't heard anything back. Um I don't really know what's going on. I know our discount is gone though, and they're out of the forerunner body anyways. So I don't know. Right now it's on hold until we figure out what the heck's going on there. I'll get a hold of Luke. I've tried and haven't heard from him. So all right. Um let's see. Matt Miller, this is our last question. Matt Miller, he says, thoughts on TRX4 with portal delete. Thanks. With the SSD kit retaining two speed and lockers. Uh, You'd have a very scale TRX4. (laughs) I think, yeah, you managed to find three people who do a scale podcast that don't own a TRX4. Yeah. Well, okay, I've... I've worked on a TRX4. Uh, my buddy's son has the Blazer. Um, and, I mean, I got to give credit where credit's due. You know, Traxxas builds some durable cars, depending on which ones you're looking at. But some most of their, like, the TRX4 is pretty durable from what I've seen. Um, the thing that I don't like about that, obviously, is, like, for instance they have their little Traxxas servos that control the lockers. Well, unless you spend a ton of time reinventing the wheel, you can't really fit anything else in there, so you're stuck running their servos. And I know people have tried to change them out, but like I said, you got to get creative with how stuff mounts and how stuff works. Um, So... Back to the whole point at hand, if you can retain all that stuff working and keep, you know, making it all work um, and switched out to something with straight axles, then yeah, you're just going to have a super scale TRX4. Um, And that's really all there is to it. I mean, you're going to come down to looks at this point. Those are a pretty durable rig. We had one for like two weeks and it was, it was pretty beefy. Like looking at it, there wasn't anything that I could like see right away that I thought, Oh, you know, this is a weak point or this is going to break. It just, they didn't have the sport out at the time. And I think now I definitely would have just gone for the sport rather than the 
other one because I didn't use any of the fancy stuff that it came with at all where we are here. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that was all the questions we had, and it got us to about an hour 18. I was pretty close. I said that was going to be about a sh- about a full show. Yeah, I had a feeling, uh, you know, that was going to be good because it actually give, keeps us like rolling, um, you know, talking, answering questions, not having too much kind of like the sitting there with our thumbs up our butt moments. Yeah, it's true. Well, sorry, I only used that reference because I had to hear my boss say it like four times yesterday at the job. <laughs> We got to a point at one at our big job that we're waiting on everybody else to catch up and we can't go any further until like the next trade does what they need to do. So he's like, so he basically was just telling the GC, he was like, what do you want us to do? Sit here and supervise with our thumbs up our butts. So it's just kind of stuck in my head. That's a definitely a term that I've heard thrown around a lot in the construction trade. So, yep. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Is there any, like, new release stuff that we missed that we haven't talked about? No, I don't think so. Because, I mean, two straight weeks we haven't been asked about anything that went under our, went under our nose. Usually people would at least ask us about it if we didn't see it. Well, the only thing that I saw that was a little interesting is... I, I don't. I haven't really looked too much into it, other than the fact that I've seen a couple people post it. But Red Cat has a car cover for the six four or seven three or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> oh, funny. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I was like, so you guys came out with a car cover. I was like, hmm. Got to keep it scale. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. So, um, but other than that, I haven't really seen anything too new. We've covered everything. Um, there's a new Enduro 24 that's got the trail runner body. You know, there's that there's, I don't know. I, there's not a lot scale metal supplies just released their DIY slider kit. Oh, rock sliders. Yeah. That was pretty cool. What I, I, okay, here's something I would like to do. I would like to just take two seconds to mention Scale Metal Supplies. The fact that Andre is actually, he's filling what I call a niche that I think some of us that like to fabricate or, you know, have some fabricating skills, you can actually buy things and put them together yourself. Like, um, I, you know, I believe he's working on a bumper setup you know, where he's going to have kind of the same thing. You can, you know, it comes to you in pieces and you can jig it all up and weld it and, you know, kind of make it your own and stuff. Kind of like the sliders. You get to get the kit. You can put it all together yourself. You can adjust how high you want to kick up the, you know, the actual slider. Do you want to keep it flat? And, you know, and I think it's cool. I mean, it's filling, like I said, a, a small void in, you know, the, I guess, scale RC realm, because if you look at the one-to-one world, there are companies that sell you kits. Like if you're that weekend warrior that wants to put your stuff together, 
and uh, you can buy it and do it yourself. I know move bumpers in the one-to-one world. You can make your, you could basically buy the like winch style bumper and you weld it all together yourself. Yeah. There's a lot of um, plate style bumpers like that you can buy and put together. And I've seen like trusses and uh, lower a arms and stuff too. Like I think it's a cool idea. Definitely. So, so yeah, so be on the lookout for that. Um, big, big supporter of our show. Um, He actually just um, commented a question as we're sitting here talking about this. Oh, I thought I saw that pop up on the screen too. Yeah, no. So he asked, um, he said, Jay, what are you using in the Baja Ray for electronics? Stock. It's, I, I mean, I've driven the thing twice. It's, I doubt I'm going to sink any kind of money into that thing. I'm probably going to just sell it when I'm done doing everything I'm doing to it. You know, as far as like taking pictures and whatever products we end up doing for it, but I've just left the stock electronics. Same with the laser nut car, but holy hell, I would absolutely love to swap out that ESC. I was kind of bummed out seeing that that same Spectrum ESC comes in that rift because I'm not impressed with that thing whatsoever. I tried to calibrate the throttle the other night again, Trav, after you and I did, and still nothing. Uh, (laughs) I consider myself like reasonably smart with that stuff. Like, and for whatever reason, I'm just not a fan of that spectrum electronics and that it's just they're trying to reinvent the wheel and get too fancy with it and you know a lot of times it's just keep things simple because you know it's discouraging to buy a $500 rig and have a stupid problem like that you know (laughs) or it won't stay bound or you know i mean so far we've had to rebind the radio to it every time that we've turned it on like just dumb yeah yes i'm brand bashing i am they're trying to make it like traxis with telemetry and all this stupid stuff that you're just not going to pay attention to because nobody is going to keep that stock radio that's racing. And what do you need telemetry for on an ultra four car? Like you don't need it, it, telemetry in general. I'm sorry. You don't, it's just dumb. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, it's got the battery level indicator. Well, you know, that's also why lipo cutoff is there. And yeah. once it happens, you kind of know you got 15 minutes of yeah. runtime before, you know, it's just I, dumb. I, and it's, frustrating that it doesn't work yeah no i mean when we program like our radios for our drones like we have telemetry in those futabas and it makes sense because you know when you're flying something your battery voltage is pretty critical and seeing that on a car no no you tend to find out it's just (laughs) another gadget that is a selling point for the traxxas crowd to try and win some of them over that's all it is like it's just Everything about that ESC is completely pointless, but it is just so dumb that I can't even get it to calibrate the <laughs> the, the ESC to can't, can't calibrate the throttle. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, stock electronics in the Bahare. Actually, anything like that, like the six by six we have anything that I don't like that's not element that I don't personally drive. I just don't really sink money into if it's just something for product development. I just yeah. don't care about it that much. And tro- RC trophy trucks are rad. 
like it's cool looking it's you know fairly scale for what it is and stuff but it's just again there's like nowhere to drive stuff like that here like even the laser nut car like what am i gonna do with that you know like it's just i don't know you run out of fun really quick with that stuff in the area that we seem to live in and i don't know why that is i don't know if it's because i just don't go to I don't know. <laughs> is, is it because I'm so spoiled by tracks that going bashing isn't appealing because it's never going to have as cool a jumps as a racetrack has and everything else? Like, I'm not really sure yeah. why it's not exciting to me, but it's not. Maybe a skate park, but also I don't like breaking stuff and spending money to replace stuff for, you know, one one backflip I was able to do at a skate park or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I just, I don't know. It's, I, I have a hard time identifying with that crowd cause it's just not entertaining for me. Yeah. I hear that. I mean, they're fun to look at, you know, like the laser nut car is sick looking on the shelf, you know, same with the Baja Ray, but unless you have somewhere to drive it, you know, it's like, I think the six scale ones are rad, like the super Baja Ray, the 2.0 that they came out with the Brenthal truck. Like that thing's rad. I'd love to have one, but I know that if I got something like that, I would just sit there and look at it on the bench and like move, you know, cycle the suspension and sit there and geek out about it for a little bit. And then it's just going to sit forever and not get used. So I don't know. Well, we've had. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it's like, did we any? Did we have anything else that we wanted to add? No, I was just gonna say that we have had a really hard time with flow this episode. Ah. <laughs> I feel like we're all rusty or something. We're all tired. We've been busy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think that's the problem. I was not ready to record tonight whatsoever. Yeah, but. I've. I'm just so stupid from lack of sleep from the last couple of days that. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same I'm boat. Not, I'm not all here. That's for sure. <laughs> Similar boat. Yeah, I'm just too many other things going on. Yep. Like parts. So anyways, <laughs> I guess we can be done. Well, we're right at that time anyways, just short of an hour and a half. So yeah, if we didn't have anything else, we can go ahead and get out of here. Sounds good. Well, cool. All righty. Well, thank you, everybody. We'll be back soon. Yep. We'll see you next week. Catch you later.